everybody. Welcome to another episode of Supernatural George. I'm Mittens, and today we are going to be discussing Season 2, Episode 16, Roadkill. This episode was written by Rael Tucker, and like last week's episode was John Scheiben's penultimate episode, this is Rael Tucker's penultimate episode. She has one more coming up. She's written a lot of the great episodes or co-written a lot of the great episodes of this show so far. And her final episode is a fandom classic, What Is and What Shall Never Be. But this episode is just so wonderful. Everything about it is wonderful. And I mean, that's partly credited to Charles Beeson, who directed it. This is his second episode of Supernatural he's directed. First was Playthings. But the story, the way it's told, this whole, every every episode in season two, I think I've mentioned that things just aren't what they appear to be on the surface. And gosh, if this isn't the sort of definitive episode for that concept of how usually Sam and Dean are kind of in the dark and we're in the know as the audience, like last week's ending with the trickster who Sam and Dean think he's dead but we, the audience, know that he survived. We're told something that Sam and Dean don't know. This episode is the exact opposite. From the very beginning, Sam and Dean know things about what's happening in this episode that we, the audience, aren't told until the very end. So in that respect, we are sort of in Molly's shoes for the entire episode. We're watching this unfold along with her we're just as clueless as she is as to what's going on really under the surface here but Sam and Dean are both in on it and obviously they'll have differing opinions on how they should be handling this throughout the episode but in the end this episode is also redemptive and rewarding to the audience when we finally see the trick of it but also it's a big win for Sam in a way that even last week's episode wasn't because there's just no baggage between Sam and Dean in this episode. They set that down at the end of the last episode. I mean, obviously there's still unresolved conflict, but it's okay for now. They've accepted this and they're both at a sort of mutual understanding place and they're working together and we love to see it. So, (laughs) They're keeping all of us in the dark this week while they get to the bottom of their case. This week's episode, there's not a lot of bonus content because, again, season two DVDs, for whatever reason, are super duper light on <laughs> bonus content of any sort. There's no cutscenes. There's no special features. There's no. There's not even like a director's cut track or where they talk over the episode so like there's just nothing no extra content about this episode which is kind of weird because molly is played by trisha helfer who at the time this episode came out i believe she was hugely popular from battlestar galactica i don't know if anybody's watched that but if you haven't you should because it's an excellent series but there's just nothing extra associated with this episode we have of all things The casting sides for David, her husband, and it's basically the first three pages of the episode, what we think of as like the first half of the cold open before they crash the car. That's all we have of the script. The one 
major note that I took away from reading those three pages was that Rael Tucker did not choose the song in this episode. And this is obviously iconically linked to House of the Rising Sun. And you can't imagine this episode and not have House of the Rising Sun playing in your head when you think about it. Because it's just that central to the theme of this episode. And just to think somebody in the sound department just chose it, I guess. But it's not in this draft of the script that House of the Rising Sun is the song. It just says some distinctive classic rock hit from about 15 or 20 years ago. They certainly picked a distinctive one. And (laughs) I mean, you cannot hear that guitar riff and not immediately know what the song is. And it's just fascinating to me that, you know, the episode takes place over the span of one night. This is another episode that's sort of time locked to a place like, you know, you think of Ghost Facers. It always has to be on a leap year on February 29th because that's the one time every four years that the ghost does his thing. This one is also time locked to this specific date, February 22nd. It's only once a year that this ghost appears and That's why Sam and Dean have chosen it, because they knew that the ghost would be there and had been every year for 15 years since her accident was 15 years earlier. Because of that, the episode's action takes place. We only see what happens from the time Sam and Dean arrive. We don't see any of the lead up, any of them planning to go out there, knowing what they were getting themselves into. We don't see any of the history of it the things that they had learned before they went out there and decided to conquer this particular haunting. So we don't know the trick of the episode until the very end when the sun rises (laughs) and Molly is taken back to her old house where her husband still lives with another woman now because she's been dead for 15 years and this is how they break it to her. Like you died. So here, As the sun rises, you know, she gets to be released from her own whatever had been tying her to this place. And it wasn't David that was keeping her tied there. She wasn't tied to David. She was tied to her guilt over the tragedy of this accident, that she killed somebody. And she could not not escape that loop of taking that punishment year after year after year. We'll talk about that as the episode goes through. But again, we're all spoilers all the time here. So I don't even feel like I need to give spoiler alerts anymore. Because if you've listened this long, you already know I'm going to talk about stuff from every season of the show. And everything is up for grabs. And (laughs) if you haven't seen it, I apologize. But, you know, (laughs) show's been over for over a year. (laughs) You've had a year to catch up. But a lot of Supernatural is structured this way, either on the level of the audience doesn't know what's happening, or Sam and Dean don't know what's happening, or none of us know what's happening, and then it's revealed, like at the end, like the classic example of this is all of season four, where you go into it thinking one thing, we need to kill Lilith to stop the apocalypse, and then in the last episode of the season, oh no, Killing Lilith is what starts the apocalypse, and we'd been led by the nose into believing that we were stopping the apocalypse by doing this, and it's our downfall. So there's this whole sense of 
yes, it may not make sense now. There's stuff here that's confusing now, but later it will make sense at the end of the episode, at the end of the season. And it should have made sense at the end of the series. Too bad it didn't. Um, (laughs) But we'll get there too eventually, but not for a long time to come. Because we're still on season two. Let's focus on season two. (laughs) That said, the very opening scenes of this episode, the then segment, where we get ourselves back into the gear of Supernatural, it's not saving people, hunting things. That's there. But before that, before we switch to Dean saying, you know, this is what dad wanted, it's Bobby from the finale of season one. So it kind of makes you feel like, oh, wait, we're shifting in towards season ending drive here. Just when they think they're getting comfortable with each other and what's happening. Wait a second. There's a storm coming and you boys, you're right in the middle of it. And it's true. There's a storm coming. But this is the calm before the storm. This this episode feels like a last sort of normal episode. I mean, there's a couple more normal sort of normal episodes. Heart is next. And then uh, Hollywood Babylon, where they, where they finally legitimately do try and take a vacation, but end up at a film studio doing uh, <laughs> a hunt. <laughs> so like even when they're trying to take a vacation, they don't get a vacation. And then things start slowly rolling back towards the season finale. But this episode is just so good at reestablishing Sam and Dean as a partnership. And for us, the audience, to take the the part of a character who is a one-off character that we will never see again. But we are in her shoes, watching them and still trying to put pieces together about what this case is. I mean, we obviously know more than Molly does at the beginning of the episode because we've watched a season and a half of the show already. But we aren't that much more in the know than she is because we don't know that she's actually dead this whole time. So it's fun to to be able to see Sam and Dean through somebody else's eyes and see them working together well. Even when they have disagreements about how to handle things in this episode, They handle it well, and they talk to each other, and they're open about things, and it's just so dang refreshing. Too bad it doesn't last, but, you know, we'll enjoy it while we can. The rest of the then segment, past the saving people, hunting things, the family business bit, is Sam talking about, you know, we have to save as many people as we can. And then, for some reason, clips from Bloodlust from before Dean realized wait no this isn't black and white we can't we don't just go around killing every monster because they're a monster and it's like why why would they include those like I don't understand what relevance that has to the story at this point that they have to go around killing you know all the evil things and it's like no y'all debunked that theory by the end of that episode and that was episode three of this season so why is that here like, it makes no sense to me. Then they show a bunch of different ghost kills. The Striga was in there, and the Hookman was in there. The Rakshasa Clown was in there, among others. Even the woman in white attacking Sam in the pilot episode was in there. And then it's a clip of Sam saying, our lives are weird, man. And Dean re- replying, yeah, you're telling me. And then it goes to now. And we're on 
Highway 41 in Nevada. Molly McNamara is driving and her husband is in the passenger seat and they're arguing over directions. Molly insists they're lost. They've been driving for an hour and they hadn't seen another car. And he insists, no, we're on Highway 99. And then they drive past a sign that says Highway 41. It's their anniversary. They're having this cute little couple's argument about they should have been doing something other than being stuck in the car in the middle of nowhere on their anniversary. And he apologizes and he tries to jokingly make it up to her to cheer her up and and then tries to kiss her neck and she tries to push him away and is like arguing with him and takes her eyes off the road for just a moment. And there's this guy just standing out in the road in the <laughs> in the dark and he just stands there and, you know, doesn't jump out of the way. Like what what on earth was he doing just friggin standing there is what I want to know in the middle of the night. <laughs> like, dude, you're creepy. Like, why are you on just standing in the road? I mean, clearly there hadn't been a lot of other traffic on the road, so maybe this was a habit of his. Who knows? But instead of, like, moving off to the side, no, he lets her, like, obviously hit him and then run off the road as she loses control of the car and crashes into a tree. And as this is playing, the entire background music is House of the Rising Sun. She wakes up at some unknown point later, behind the wheel of the car still, David is gone. His door is partially open. He's gone. And she gets out and starts looking for him through the woods, finds a little cabin with a light lit in one of the windows, goes over to it to ask for help to see if David's there to get help. And the man from the road is there with his back to the door. She apologizes for scaring him or whatever and asks if he's okay we can see that his whole stomach is like torn open and she, he turns around and just glares at her and just blood drips out of his mouth and his entire visage changes. He just turns from normal looking human into horrible corpse zombie man. She screams and then we get our title card. So that was our cold open, but that's the only part of the script that we actually have for David. So, or for this entire episode, So immediately, we think we know the backstory of this episode. We think we're looking at a case where David may have crawled off and died or something, or we we just don't know what happened to David because that's one of the mysteries of the episode. And we don't know what happened to Molly. How come David didn't save her if he went off somewhere else? Like, why didn't he take her with him? Was he flung from the car? Like, we just don't know what happened to David. But we do know that hey, this guy from the road is like clearly dead and scary or maybe he was already dead and scary before Molly even got there. Maybe she almost hit a ghost up on the road and we just don't know what this is. We think she's just the latest victim of this thing. We don't realize that she was the original victim of this thing. But by the time Sam and Dean come in in the next scene after the title card, They know way more than we do, but we feel like we know more than them. So we feel like, hey, you know, we have information these guys don't have. We know the whole story of how Molly got in this accident and how she ended up on the road flagging them down. And nope, turns out they know more than we do, which is honestly refreshing because we've been on this ride with them learning about ghosts and hunting and like everything that they've learned in the course of the series to this point we've learned too 
and, and especially like after last week, feeling like we already know more information than they do, like about the trickster still being alive. There's things like that throughout the series where the audience just knows stuff. Like one character won't tell the other one something, but we're in on the secret, kind of. <laughs> so it's it's really refreshing for once to be surprised and, and, and have that aha moment at the end of the episode going, hey, yeah, these guys are smart. They figured it out. I, I appreciate that once in a while. I mean, I'm glad the whole series isn't like that because then it would just get to be like, okay, it's all just a plot twist. We're just waiting for the plot twist. And then it loses the ability to surprise you like that. But I appreciate it when it when they do carefully pick and choose their moments to use that. After the title card, we rejoin Molly running through the woods, fearfully looking back over her shoulder a couple of times toward the horror she just witnessed and as good timing would have it she arrives up at the road just as sam and dean are driving by and runs right out in front of them dean spots her and slams on the brakes and he's like holy like like he's gonna say holy shit but all he can say is holy because this is the cw and (laughs) molly runs out like stands right in the middle of the road just like Greeley did in the cold open scene, the man just standing in the road, but she's trying to get them to stop. She needs help. But the looks on their faces and the comments that they make throughout this episode, this is one that's definitely better on a second watch. Once you, I mean, experiencing that finding out the trick of it all is great. And and it's like such a surprise, but knowing the trick in advance and which is how I do these rewatches. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> so I try to talk about what it looks like when you know, from an omniscient point of view here, we know the whole series and how everything happens. So especially just within the context of this episode, the looks on Sam and Dean's faces make so much sense. And it's not just, you know, thinking, oh, well, Molly just doesn't understand what they're talking about. That's why this seems awkward or weird. But it fits in the context of not knowing. But it's like turning on all the lights and seeing everything that's happening. You can see the underlying truth of what their conversations are about and what they already know when you know the trick of it. So that's how I'm going to talk about this, because the look on Dean's face was almost like, oh, my God, he did not expect to see her there. They were hunting ghosts, but I don't think he expected to be able to become part of their story like this. She goes over to Sam's window. He rolls it down. She's like, you've got to help me. You know, she explains what had happened, that she was in an accident. She explains she went looking for her husband, couldn't find him. Then the man from the road started chasing her. And Dean, for some reason, asks, did he look like he lost a fight with a lawnmower? And she's like, how did you know that? And Dean's like, lucky guess. And she doesn't question this at all. Like, how, how is that a lucky guess? Like, <laughs> of all the random bullcrap for, for someone to make a lucky guess on, <laughs> that's pretty wild and out there. But she's so distressed about having just experienced this accident from her perspective from having seen this horrible thing and the trauma and she's scared, she's lost in the woods, she's all alone and she can't find her husband. And this is frightening her, and obviously. But Sam tries to keep it calm. He's like, well, maybe you should come with us. We'll take you back into town. 
we'll get you some help. And then Dean and I, you know, she's like, I can't, I can't leave. I got to find my husband. I can't leave him out here alone. Even his protestations of, well, Dean and I will come back and, and look for your husband doesn't get anywhere. But Sam had asked her name. And as soon as he hears it, it's really quick. Sam and Dean exchange a look like, holy shit, this is one of our ghosts. You know, she was in this accident. She died in this accident. They already know that information. So the fact that they just continue treating her just like she's just a normal citizen, you know, Sam just continues to be kind to her and trying to be helpful and understanding and yet still trying to get to the bottom of this case that they came out here to solve because, you know, they got one night a year to do it and they're there and they, they're all ready to take care of it. And this sort of throws a little curveball into their plans as well. But Molly insists she's not leaving without her husband. Maybe he went back to the car. So she insists on making them take her back to her where her car crashed. Sam agrees. And they are, they're like, well, what else are we going to do? She's literally part of this case. We kind of need to see what we can do about this. They're not just hunting one ghost. They're hunting two. She goes back to the site, looks down the hill to the tree where her car had crashed. And it's not there. And she's very confused. She starts walking down the hill like, I know this is where it was. We hit that tree right there. Like, what happened? This doesn't make any sense. And as she walks away, Sam and Dean are still up on the road. And Sam's like, Dean, we got to get out of here. Greeley could show up at any minute. Dean's like, well, what are you going to tell her? And Sam's like, the truth. And Dean's like, she's going to take off running in the other direction. You cannot tell her the truth. (laughs) But... Now she's in a position where she doesn't have any place to return to. She's like, well, what happened to David? If the car is gone, what happened to David? We've got to get the cops on this. Not only did she total her car and crash it, her husband's disappeared. Now her car's disappeared. And Sam and Dean are keep trying to convince her to go back with them. They finally convince her by saying, yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to take you to the police. They'll know what to do kind of deal. And she finally agrees to leave with them. But she's now in the back seat saying that they were supposed to be in Lake Tahoe. It was their fifth anniversary. And then they, they were having the dumbest fight. And the only time they ever fight is when they're stuck in the car together. And Sam just laughs like, yep, familiar with that concept because he and Dean argue all the time in the car. The trickster episode, that, that was their excuse. We're always trapped together. So, <laughs> you know, the Siamese twins and it's conjoined twins, you know, from the last episode. And that's their excuse to Bobby as to why they're arguing with each other. It's just they're getting on each other's nerves because they're cooped up together. Well, yeah, that's the little tie-in joke to remind us of that. And Sam just laughs. Dean gives Sam like a little look like, what on earth are you talking about? Like, shut up. (laughs) We don't fight. Then Molly laments that the last thing she ever said to David before the crash was that she called him a jerk. And it's kind of like, hmm. Yeah, kind of like, Sam calls Dean a jerk like (laughs) and we think at this point that's bad foreshadowing but yeah it kind of is kind of is to the end of the season you know I called him a jerk and now she thinks he's dead but she's actually dead yeah kind of how the end of season two goes or at least the penultimate episode when um yeah Sam has an accident and falls on some pie he's not really bad it's not He's not hurt. He just fell on some pie. (laughs) 
But Sam turns around and promises her that they're going to find out what happened to her husband. He offers her what little comfort he can, knowing the full scope of the situation and what actually happened to her husband and what happened to her. And he's basically just lying through his teeth to her just because it's all he can give her. He's trying to provide her comfort. Right after he says that, though, the radio starts squiggling around and starts playing House of the Rising Sun, which, as we know, is not tied to Greeley. It's tied to Molly. That's her song that she was listening to. That's her guilt flaring up. That's what's keeping her tied to this place. When you hear that song in this episode, it's about her and her fear and her guilt. And here it is on display because it's about to come back to punch them all in the face. So while Sam and Dean are concerned that the radio seems to have tuned itself to this song, it freaks Molly out in the backseat. She's like, this this is what was playing when we crashed. Sam looks almost like accusatory to Dean, like we should have told her what's going on, like kind of thing. But also, okay, this is her. She's doing this and doesn't even know it. They realize this is a major clue. Something bad is happening here. Almost like they're in danger of crashing now that they have Molly in the car with them. Before they can puzzle out what's going on with the radio, it tunes itself to an entirely different station. And all you can hear is a creepy, crackly voice saying, she's mine. She's mine. Molly's freaking out in the back seat. They turn and look out the front window and there's Greeley standing in the road where she hit him. Dean's like, don't worry, we got this under control, kind of, and floors it like he can just drive right through the ghost. And of course he can, because the car is iron, you know, steel, iron, it's going to bust up a ghost. (laughs) And Molly's freaking out, like, what are you doing? You can't hit him. You know, like, as the car drives through him, he just turns to smoke and disappears, like ghosts do when you hit him with a fireplace poker or whatever. It disintegrated him for a minute. She's like, what, what? is going on what happened and sam's like don't worry about it we're everything's gonna be fine (laughs) just then the car begins to stutter and the engine just conks out so much for good timing on everything's gonna be fine (laughs) it's not they're stuck there the ghost is not gonna let them leave so once the car stops dean and sam get out and molly gets out too but dean goes right to the trunk because a ghost stopped their car so He needs supplies. He needs to be armed against this ghost. He goes right to the trunk, opens it up, and the secret compartment filled with all kinds of creepy weapons is right on display as Molly comes around and watches him competently, like, check his shotgun and sees the array of weapons and is like, uh, yeah, no, I think I'm gonna be fine on my own. Thanks for trying to help. I'm just going to leave now. Like, great crazy serial killers picked me up. This is not where I want to be. Sam tries to convince her that it's okay. We're we're trying to help, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Dean, at least, he's direct and to the point here. He's like, we weren't out here just cruising for chicks when we ran into you. We were already out here hunting. And she's like, hunting for what? And Dean has sort of run out of patience at this point, And he's like, ghosts. Sam's like, what? You could have at least, like, toned it down a little or, you know, not made us look like complete lunatics. But the fact that Dean said ghosts, plural, 
is a hint that he knows what's going on here. They both know. But in context, when you're watching it the first time, they always hunt ghosts. That's kind of their thing. So it doesn't really register as a clue in the episode. You just think, yeah, that's what they do. They hunt ghosts. As usual, she accuses them of being nuts. And Dean's like, yeah, about as nuts as a vanishing guy with his gut spilling out. You know what you saw. You told us that you had seen this. We're telling you you're not crazy. It's a ghost. (laughs) He's not being very uh, congenial in how he shares it. He's just blunt and to the point. Because right now, all their lives are in danger. They're out in this sort of deserted road in the winter. There's snow on the ground. It's cold. They're out there in the woods alone with a ghost who wants to kill them. So, yeah, he's a bit cranky. (laughs) But Sam is still trying to be compassionate and supportive, even though he knows she's already dead. He's trying to help her in any way he can, even if it's just making her feel safe for five minutes here. This is where Sam tells Molly the story, but it's also where we, the audience, get the story about Jonah Greeley, who died on this road 15 years ago. He was a local farmer, and every year on the night he was killed, he haunts the road, and that's why they're there. She doesn't want to hear it at first, but Sam explains it to her in a way that she can see. She begins to see Jonah Greeley's point of view. She spends this episode learning about the man that technically she killed. This is what she has to come to terms with, that she's been torturing herself with it year after year. They explain to her that they want to stop this ghost from reappearing every year. She's like, what, did the ghost make my car disappear too? And Dean brushes it off as, well, crazier things have happened. He, like, gives Sam a little slug Like, don't you dare say anything, Sam. But at the time, it just looks like he's being, you know, Mr. Swaggery jerk boy that he's kind of been to her so far. Just kind of short and snippy with her. But again, once you know the trick of the episode, it's understandable. He's trying to get Sam to shut up and not tell her the full truth that her car had disappeared 15 years ago when she killed Jonah Greeley. Dean is just like... Sammy, don't you dare tell her she's going to go bolting and then we're going to have to wait until next year and do this all over again. We're going to get to the bottom of this now. Dean is just giving her enough information to get her to stick around. She says, well, I think I'm just going to go find the cops myself then and tries to walk off again. They're both like, well, we tried to get you out of here, but we couldn't. And I don't think Jonah Greeley is going to let you leave. Sam explains that every year, Greeley picks someone to punish for what happened to him, and this year that person is Molly. And she's like, but why me? I didn't even do anything. Sam replies, some spirits only see what they want. It doesn't matter what you did or didn't do. He's fixated on you. That whole, some spirits only see what they want, is her. She hasn't come to terms with her own guilt, even though it's there and it's keeping her nailed in this place for the last 15 years. Molly immediately jumps to the conclusion that Greeley took her husband, and that's why she can't find David in the woods and why he wasn't in the car with her. Dean looks like he wants to say something, but he's not. He's just not. Sam's like, we're going to help you, but you've got to help us. 
and she leads them to the cabin where she ran screaming from in the cold open where she saw Greeley for the first time up close. Dean realizes it's Greeley's hunting cabin. It's all full of tools, weapons, hooks, bloodstained table. Sam comes in. He looked outside for a grave. There was no sign of a grave there because Molly's freaked out about that. She's like, why are you looking for his grave? Because we need to salt and burn his bones. It's a way to free a spirit. So she gets the little lecture there. We, the audience, just get reminded of these facts. But she's hearing them all for the first time and is remarkably less disturbed about it than she could be. But hey, she just has seen a a few things tonight that she can't explain either. So she's rolling with it. Good for her. But she asks if this will save David. She still believes David is in danger, that he's out there somewhere, and that this possibly murderous ghost has him. Sam and Dean know that's not true. Sam instead replies, this will help both of you, provided we can find the grave. You know, they have a thousand acres that it could be located on and no way of knowing where it was. But the hunting cabin was clearly a dead end. There's no body there. There's no grave there. Dean's like, uh, yeah, this is a fascinating little chat we're having, but we need to move it along because we only have till sunup or it's going to be until next year before we have another chance at this. We've got to keep moving. Let's keep our heads on what we need to do. So they go out and they're looking for a road. They're looking for any sign of where Greeley's actual house may be, not just his little hunting shed. Dean stays behind a little bit, goes looking around the side of the cabin while Sam leads Molly away to look for the ro- a road or a driveway or another building on the property. He tells her to stick close. And, of course, as soon as they start heading into the woods, as Sam's focusing on finding a path or anything to follow, Molly hears something. She hears someone whispering her name and saying, help me. She's like, David? David, is that you? Without saying anything loud enough for Sam to hear, she turns around and tries to follow this voice that she's hearing when the ghost of Greeley jumps out of the woods and grabs her. Luckily, because Dean had been hanging back, he's right behind her and pulls his gun out and shoots Greeley with salt, and he disappears again. The gunshot obviously brings Sam's attention back. He comes running And Molly is still focused 100% on finding her husband. She's like, what has that monster done with my husband? She's absolutely convinced that Greeley has taken David from her. She's just getting angry now that she can't find him. Sam is the one who is kind to Molly again here and says, don't worry, you're going to see your husband again. He doesn't say how or why or when or what circumstances that will be under, but he insists that she will see him again. But one good thing about the way that all of this went down is that Dean has now spotted another path through the woods that seems to lead somewhere, not just randomly wooded area, but a clear path. He's like, well, this is the way to go then, I guess. But as Dean leads the way through the woods, Sam hangs back with Molly again, and she feels comfortable enough with him to ask him questions, so that thing shoots rock salt, Sam explains how salt repels evil and unnatural things, and that's why it works to repel ghosts. 
he's just so matter of fact, but kind about it. It's comforting to her and she's letting him comfort her. And it's very nice. It's nice for both of them because honestly, Sam needs to feel like he can get a win, even if it's just in this small way that he knows is ultimately just about, you know, I mean, technically it's about saving her, her soul. It's about relieving her from being doomed to this for eternity. The path leads to a rundown, abandoned-looking cottage. And Dean complains. I mean, I, he's trying to keep the mood light in his own weird way. Because <laughs> he's not intent on keeping Molly happy. You know what I mean? He's not intent on comforting her like Sam is. He's just trying to get this job done. They've got one shot at it. It's a time-sensitive case. And he's just trying to get through it and maybe not keep her happy, but at least keep her participatory. (laughs) Keep her from trying to run off again. Dean's like, just once I'd like to round the corner and see a nice house. You know, not a rundown, horrible place like this. Clearly, the house has been abandoned for 15 years. So things happen. Nature takes over. Inside the house, Dean looks around and he's like, yeah, why don't you shoot you two go upstairs and check to see if there's any information about where he might be buried. And I'll look down here. Upstairs, we see Sam and Molly. She Molly finds a there's papers all over the place, but Sam's looking through the ones on the floor. Molly finds an album and sees photos of Greeley and his wife at their house, a love letter that he wrote her. And she's like, my God, it's beautiful. How does someone who writes something like this become that monster? Sam struggles to come up with a reply for her because he knows the full truth. And you can kind of see the pain in his eyes knowing that this applies to Molly too. There's different reasons that spirits get trapped. But what turned Greeley into the monster that he is out for vengeance against her? She really wants to understand And that's great for her because that's going to enable her eventually to be able to let this all go. But the fact that Sam spends all of this time talking with her, explaining his understanding of it, seems to really help. He describes the spirits that are trapped as like Greeley is, as like a wounded animal that just lashes out because it's scared and it's in pain. You know, it's suffering. Sam goes on to say that it's usually like something like unfinished business or something is keeping them there. Could be revenge, love, hate, whatever it is. They hold on too tight. They can't let go. And they're caught in the same loops, replaying the same tragedy over and over again because they can't escape it. They get stuck. And he and Dean come along to try and free them from that. Molly tells Sam he sounds almost sorry for the ghosts. Sam's like, well, they were people. Most of them were just normal, decent people until something beyond their control happened. It's not their fault that they're stuck here usually, but whatever it is, vengeance is a choice they're making here, but it's probably because most spirits don't immediately turn vengeful the moment they die. That's something that they devolve into over time (laughs) as they begin to lose themselves. But either way, it's still something that Sam feels sorry for the spirits that are trapped. And then we get a line 
that makes me realize why they included that bit about Dean from the mid-portion of Bloodlust in the then segment. Why they included that bit of him, like, all evil things must die. You know, that's our job, is to kill them. And Sam's like, that's not our job. That's why they used that clip, was to justify Dean coming through the door right now and saying, yeah, Sam's always a little J-Love Hewitt, you know, the ghost whisperer, when it comes to things like this. Me, I don't like him. And I sure as hell ain't making apologies for him. Then just matter-of-factly reports that he found nothing downstairs and asks if they found anything. And it's like, okay, but we know Dean doesn't actually feel that way about ghosts. He feels that way in this specific case about this specific ghost. Because he came out on this case to do a salt and burn on one ghost that was causing problems on this highway every anniversary for 15 years. And yes, they knew that Molly was out there too, but I don't think they were expecting to have to work with her. You know what I mean? Dean wasn't expecting to have to make time in their schedule to gently explain things to one of the ghosts who is responsible for this apparition happening over and over again. Because if it was just Greeley, he would have given up. If it was just her, she would have given up. They're holding each other there in a weird way. Dean begins examining the room while Sam tells him they hadn't found anything useful yet. Dean finds a little panel sort of hidden in a wall behind a piece of furniture that leads to a little secret room in the attic. Dean kicks it down and goes into the room. It's all cobwebs and old stuff. And inside, hanging from one of the rafters, is Greeley's wife, dead 15 years. Molly is like, she didn't want to live without him. She understands what this woman went through, but this is just another layer of guilt for her because it's not just Greeley's death she's responsible for. It's this woman who she never even knew about until just now that took her own life because her husband was killed. This is all just what she has to work through, understanding, acceptance, and letting this all go. I just think it's tragic for poor Greeley that his wife killed herself and didn't know that her husband's ghost is just lurking around (laughs) because he only comes back once a year. If she hadn't died, maybe he wouldn't have come back, you know? If she'd still been alive when he came back the first time, maybe he would have stayed. But there's so much of like love and loss and here and just being able to let go when it's gone. Sam asks for Dean's help. He moves the chair over where the woman had kicked it away when she hanged herself. Dean's like, what are you doing? And Sam's like, we can't just leave her hanging here. We have to lay her to rest. Even Molly's like, what are you doing? (laughs) So Dean grudgingly helps. He knows he's going to help. They take more time out of their limited hours they have left to dig a grave for her and take her down and bury her properly. She's at least been laid to rest. Molly asks if they find Greeley's grave, what's going to happen to him when they lay him to rest? She's curious now, what's going to happen to the spirit? Because now she has some sort of sympathy for him. It's not just a monster who tried to kill her and potentially killed her husband too. You know, she has no idea yet. She's just curious. She's just asking all the questions. And Dean's like, lady, that is beyond our pay grade. We have no idea what happens to ghosts when we banish them. We don't know. And at this point, they don't know. They don't know there's a heaven and a hell. They don't, I mean, they kind of know there's a hell. There's demons, right? They have 
firsthand knowledge of, but no experience of heaven or hell. And they don't even know for sure there's a heaven yet. Molly's like, so you hunt these things and you have no idea what what even happens to them afterwards? And Dean just shrugs. He's like, they don't come back. That's all that matters. Wherever they've moved on to, they've moved on. She's like, did they just get snuffed out? Like, what happens to them? It's once again left to Sam to come up with an explanation that she can accept and feel comfortable with. And again, making her more ready to accept her own choice to move on at the end of the episode. She's like, when they, when you salt and burn their bones, what happens to them then? Sam says their father used to call it death for ghosts, but they really have no idea what lays beyond life. I guess that's why we all hold on so hard to life, because we're all scared of the unknown, even ghosts. And yeah, he means in this case, even Molly. And Dean looks down at Molly while he's filling in the grave. He pauses and just looks down at her like, yeah, just scared of what comes next. She actually says the only thing she's scared of is that she won't see David again. She just needs to see him again. They go back inside the house. Dean is just sitting there looking out the window like he knows that Greeley is going to be coming back for them. Like he knows that he won't be able to stay away from Molly the entire night. Basically, they're just waiting for him to show back up. They're just sitting there like bait. Molly's still looking through the photo album of Greeley and his wife. And Sam is looking upset about the conversation that they've had. He goes over and whispers to Dean that he thinks that they should tell her what happened to her husband because it's it's cruel to keep her in the dark. And Dean's like, it's for her own good. He gets up and says to Sam, I know you feel guilty, but we have to stick to the plan. We'll get her out of here and then we'll tell her. Molly overhears that bit and she's like, tell, tell me what? She's like, it's about David, isn't it? You know what happened to him. You know, why aren't you telling me? And Sam tries to be compassionate. And he's like, Molly. And Dean's like, don't. And she's like, what? I'm going to mess up your hunt? Is that all? You don't care about me or David. Just as they're about to start having words about all of this, (laughs) music starts playing. House of the Rising Sun. And Molly's like, he's coming. She associates that song with Greeley, not with her. Dean goes to investigate the source of the music and finds an old-timey radio with a completely frayed and disconnected power cord, yet it's still lit up and playing the song. And he's like, yep, this, this is not normal. The window in the kitchen door ices up and the words, she's mine, appear. There's just tension for a moment. And then Molly's standing by a window, scared, as they all are, And Greeley grabs her right through the glass window, like shatters the window and pulls her outside. And of course, Sam and Dean take up the chase. But of course, since they're chasing ghosts, they get a little ways out into the woods and completely lose them because ghosts just can poof themselves. So now they are at desperation point. They need to find Greeley's grave. They need to salt and burn his bones. As Dean helpfully reminds Sam, they only have two hours until sunrise to do it now. They go back into the cabin and look around and they find the photo album that Molly was looking through and the picture of Greeley and his wife standing in front of his hunting cabin. And Sam's like, wait a second, I could swear there's a tree right where they're standing in this photo that was taken two weeks before the accident. 
seems like so. <laughs> and Sam's like, it's country custom that you plant a tree as a grave marker. Maybe that's where Greeley's buried. So they're like, well, it's the best shot we've got. They go running off back towards the hunting cabin. I mean, smartly, they should have thought of this part too. Sam wanted to find Molly. Well, guess where she was? <laughs> At the hunting cabin, because she's been hunted by the other ghost. So even as Molly's hanging by her wrists in this cabin and Greeley is just terrifying and torturing her, she's still just like, what'd you do to my husband? Where's David? He's like, you shouldn't worry about him anymore. Of course she is, because she has no clue. It's more just her lack of knowledge. Greeley never did anything to him. But he's like, you should worry about yourself. And she's like, I didn't do anything to you. Just let me go. She tries telling him, I know about your wife. Hurting me won't bring her back. So she still lacks this understanding what all the connections are. She's smartly arguing for her own salvation here. Hurting me is not going to bring your wife back. Greeley's like, my wife's gone. All I've got is hurting you. He blames her for all of this, for being trapped there, for his wife being dead because of her, too. He doesn't have anything to live for anymore, even as a ghost. What he had to live for was his wife, and now all he has is torturing her because he's stuck there. It's like he doesn't have a choice but to be stuck there. So he's just completely turned into this awful thing. And I mean, in a way, you can't blame him. You have to feel sad for him because this sucks what happened to him. But he doesn't know her side of the story either. So Grayley begins cutting on her with his fingernails and tells her she's never going to leave. Which, if Sam and Dean hadn't freed them from this, they'd still be doing it to this day. Like, once a year, they would come and reenact this little play. Who knows if either of them would remember any of it from year to year because Molly seems to wake up and it's like a brand new day and she doesn't remember having done this every year for the last 15 years. There's no guarantee she would remember this next year either. Sam and Dean show up at the cabin. Dean goes inside and shoots rock salt at Greeley. He disappears again and Molly's like, oh, thank God. And Dean's like, yeah, you, you can call me Dean. <laughs> Just leaning into the swagger. Just as he's about to approach her, Greeley comes behind him and Molly's like, oh my God. You know, she doesn't say any words, but she's just like, ah. By her reaction, Dean knows Greeley's behind him. He turns around and Greeley just flicks a finger at him and it cuts Dean's face. And then Dean's getting ready to pull his gun up and shoot him again with rock salt. And Greeley waves his hand and Dean goes flying backwards into the wall. Meanwhile, Sam's outside, frantically digging around this tree, trying to find Greeley's bones. Sam finds it just as Dean yells out to hurry it up, Sam, because Greeley's tossing him around like a ragdoll. Greeley summons a knife from the wall. It flies into his hand, and he kneels over Dean like he's going to try and stab Dean to death here. And Dean's fighting with everything he's got, and he's barely fighting the knife off. He's got no weapon to knock the ghost away, and the ghost is stronger than he is. Meanwhile, poor Molly is just stuck there, chained to the ceiling, just watching all of this go down with horror. And we see one of the slowest and most drawn out ghost deaths in the entire series. I mean, we've seen the hell puddle that was pretty drawn out in the pilot episode. The woman just it looked horrible and painful. 
but it doesn't usually look painful when the ghosts disappear in the fireball that consumes them. It just kind of whoosh and they're done. They might get a scream in or a frustration, but this guy looked like he was in serious pain as he slowly burned from the feet up until he just disappeared in a flash and the knife he was holding falls to the floor and just sticks in the floorboard. Just watching him like writhe in agony, like it was suffering for him to be burnt out this way. But was it the suffering of being burned like that? Or was it the suffering of not getting to complete his annual mission of torturing and killing her? Like what was holding him back in those final moments? We obviously have no idea, but both options are there or something entirely different. We don't know, but it's never portrayed as something that ghosts are in pain when they're being salted and burned. More like it's anger and frustration at being removed from their vengeance of whatever they were doing. But in the meantime, Molly had to watch this. And then, you know, she's about to find out she's ghost in the next segment. But she had to watch this and it's like, it's got to be terrifying to her the reality of what happens to, to a spirit after death. It's just awful that her only experience with it is what I would consider one of the worst case scenarios of ghost vengeful spirit salt and burn we've ever seen on the show right before she has to make this choice for herself. It's got to make things a little more complicated, but in a way also at least a little bit satisfying for her after she spent this whole night and 15 years hence literally being tortured over and over again by this entire situation. So, huh, in a way, it's got to help her, you know, hopefully she can see it as eventually that he has moved on to something better, that he's not stuck here for an eternity now, rather than just the pain that seemed to overtake him as he burned away. As Greeley's spirit burns away, Dean glances up at Molly, and I don't know if he thought she was just going to disappear when Greeley's bones were burned. Like, was it his vengeance that was holding her in place here? I think he was kind of half surprised, half not surprised that Molly was still there to deal with because they had nothing to help her free herself other than the truth. They needed her to complete this hunt, and now that it's complete, she can have the truth and that will set her free. They get back to the car and it's like Dean's obligation to this hunt is done. Greeley is gone and Sam's burden now is explaining to her what's going on. Dean gets back to the car, flings his bag in and is like, oh baby, it's been a long night. And he's just happy to be back in his car. And Molly's like, I'm not going anywhere with you until you tell me what happened to my husband. She clearly knows that they know what became of her husband and that they have been strategically keeping this secret from her. Good for her now to demand answers. Sam doesn't know how to respond to her. He just struggles with a way to explain to her. She just keeps talking. She's like, all this time you knew that Greeley killed him and you just kept that from me. And Sam's like, no, David's alive. But she's like, yeah, all this time I was looking for him. That's like what her mission in those woods was. She was looking for David and she couldn't find him. And Sam's finally like, yeah, I'm sure he's alive. 
will take you to him. And then she gets in the car. She trusts them enough to believe him when he said that. They drive to David's house. It's still before dawn. It's still dark out. It's still raining. And Sam points at the house and said he's in there. And Molly's like, I don't understand. And he replies, you will. And they all get out of the car. And this is where it becomes clear that Dean hasn't been being mean to her this whole time because, or Dean level of lack of interest of being nice. (laughs) Like he hasn't been mean outright, but he hasn't been nice to her particularly. He's been gruff with her, brusque with her because he did not want to have to feel this, feel for her the way Sam is feeling for her because you can tell Dean is feeling just as bad for her right now as Sam is but he could not he had to keep that distance he couldn't become friends with the ghost that they had to hurt this way they had to give her the truth that would set her free she goes up to the house she sees David she's confused because he's 15 years older she doesn't recognize him why is he in this strange house she's never seen before And as he pours his morning coffee, a woman comes into the room and kisses him. And she's like, who is that? And Sam has to break it to her. That's his wife. They've been married for a long time. The whole time you've been dead. Sam has to break it to her that 15 years ago, Jonah Greeley was hit by her car with her and her husband in it. And that David survived. And she's like, what are you saying? And Dean's the one who breaks it to her. We're saying that there's not just one spirit that haunts Highway 41. There's two. Molly's like, does not believe this. And Sam and Dean convince her, you know, Sam has to tell her that one night a year for the last 15 years, you've been appearing on that highway. You didn't survive the accident. She's like, no, that's not possible. It was our, it's our fifth anniversary, January 22nd. And... Sam's like 1992 and she's like yeah and Dean has to break the hard news to her again it's 2007 that was 15 years ago Sam again gets to tell her the explanations and Dean is the one who comes in with the truth (laughs) but then we the audience are treated to a flashback as we presume they explain all of this to Molly we see all their research leading up to the case We see Sam and Dean driving and Sam explaining that there's been 12 accidents over the last 15 years. Five of them have been fatal and they all happen on the same night of the year. And all the survivors have said the same thing caused them to crash. A woman running out onto the highway begging for help being chased by a bloodied man. And so they begin researching the case. Molly wasn't buried. She was cremated already. So the only thing holding her to this spot is this annual reenactment of events. We see that Sam and Dean actually even went and talked to David that they asked her about where Molly was buried. And he's the one who told them that she was cremated. So, of course, yes, they had proof that David was alive. They'd spoken with him. They knew this whole story this whole time. And Molly then has a flashback to waking up in her car. She believes right after the accident. So now we are back to her perspective of seeing what she remembers, seeing the man that she hit 
crashing down the side of the hill, waking up in the car again, David gone, and then a flash of Sam, who earlier in this episode told her, some spirits only see what they want. Yes, she knows that's her. She only saw what she wanted. Right up to the point where she ran back out onto the road in front of Sam and Dean at the beginning of this episode. That's her MO, what she would do every year as she was being chased through the woods by Jonah Greeley's ghost. This whole little play just went over and over once a year. And unfortunately, 12 times out of the 15, other random drivers crashed their cars because of it. And five of them died. They all managed to move on. None of them were trapped at this accident location. But Molly and Greeley just couldn't escape this loop. Then we see a shot from inside the car that we did not see the first time we saw this shot happen at the beginning of the episode. It's Sam whispering to Dean, Dean, I don't think she knows she's dead. And that's when they quickly have to make a plan to let her continue thinking she's not dead because they've got to get to the bottom of this mystery find the other ghost and get rid of both of them. And they'd have no idea how they're going to get rid of her without any bones to burn that what's keeping her here. They have to find that out so that they can help her move on. I think they were hoping to just be able to find something to burn or find something holding her there that they could just destroy and free her. I don't think they were prepared to have to talk to her and comfort her and work with her and hold her there. That's why Dean was just like refused to form an attachment to her. And poor Sam, poor Sam had to be the one to form the attachment to her and feel the loss that she's going through now. Sam wanted to tell her the truth. Dean was like, she's going to take off running in the other direction. You can't tell her she's dead. She's not going to believe you. There was no way that she would believe that she was dead. She doesn't understand that. Some ghosts just don't. They believe what they want. They cling too tightly to life. So this little montage here has given us all the context we missed from the entire episode that Sam and Dean have known all along. And yes, they each reacted differently to her and to this entire situation. To Dean, it was a practical matter. It was something that had to be done, had a time limit. I mean, he's doing all of this to help her too, but he's also got an objective. I think I need to stop here and mention that I have tags for this specific difference in Sam and Dean, and it evolves a lot over the years. But this is sort of key. It's something that even you can notice in the previous episode and the way they dealt with each other. How I mentioned Dean would sit there while Sam got angrier and angrier and Dean would just sit there and let it roll off of him because he knew the truth himself and there was nothing he could do to change Sam's mind and arguing about it wouldn't accomplish anything good and would probably just drive Sam away. And he was like, nope. I'm just going to sit here and just emotionally let it all run off my back because that's how I have to cope with this. Because Sam and Dean have very different emotional coping styles. My tag for this specific difference in them for years has been Sam sympathizes and Dean empathizes. And it's not quite that simplistic, but 
you know, tags or tags. They're shorthand for lots of other stuff. You know, like the performing dean tag got routinely picked up by people who refused to read any of the actual long meta posts in the tag and would just see the shit posts. And it's like, well, yeah, if you're just going to read the jokes that are based on the 2000 word meta piece explaining what we mean by this, then yeah, you're going to miss the point. You're going to not understand that it's not just the shit post that we think is important here. There's a lot of underlying stuff, but you can't keep like, oh, you have to give context for it. Like, dude, if you put the context and the disclaimers on every single post you put on Tumblr, (laughs) you would never get to the meat of a post because everybody else would be snoring by the time you got through the disclaimers. (laughs) There's a little bit of give and take in the meta of this show that it's kind of participatory. You can't just like pop in and see one post and go, oh yes, I understand all of this. But the show, so the shorthand for this, and that was my disclaimer, which I will not issue again, (laughs) is Sam sympathizes. He feels connected to people that he can understand, who are going through circumstances that he can understand, and who are reacting in ways that he can understand because he identifies them with them himself. Dean feels. He just feels. He doesn't need to have experienced something. He doesn't need to know firsthand what something is like in order to feel compassion or pain that somebody else is going through. He just needs to care about them. So as long as he doesn't care about them, he can pretend it doesn't hurt. He can pretend it doesn't affect him directly. He can be that cavalier, nonchalant performance of a human being that is there to accomplish a task. But if he lets himself feel for someone, he's going to feel it all. Sam just doesn't... He can completely sympathize with somebody if he can put himself in their shoes and understand it but he has to kind of know what they're experiencing in order to feel that in some ways he is experiencing this sort of loss over Jess but that was a season and a half ago right and he's experiencing this with John his the loss of his dad because he's been mourning him all season too and obviously Sam knows what loss is I mean his life has been loss so is Dean's but this is a very specific thing and Sam is trying to understand it from her point of view and Dean can't because if he does it's going to compromise him in ways that it doesn't Sam and I sincerely appreciate the show even though I think a lot of people who watch this episode just see Dean being cavalier or, you know, standoffish with her and think that's just how Dean is. He's just a jerk like that. And don't see that what we what's revealed in these little clips at the end and then what we know about Dean going forward for years to come, even in the episode referenced Bloodlust, that was referenced in the cold open with that scene that I was like, why are they using this in this episode? Why is Dean going to be a dick in this episode? And they don't put the scene of him telling Gordon, yeah, I can't share this with my brother. You know, I can't talk about stuff like this with him because I have to be strong. I have to be in control. That's who I have to be for him. I can't let him see that I'm vulnerable like this, which is the conversation he has with Gordon. And it's like, yes, 
they want you to remember that episode, not because it's the episode where Dean was a dick about monsters, but the underlying stuff. He keeps stuff from Sam. He puts on this brave face and he pushes through what has to be done. It's not because he hates monsters and it's not because he thinks they're evil things or, you know, they must die. It's because he can't let Sam see him be vulnerable. Not just because Sam wouldn't think as much of him, but because Dean would not be able to cope at that point. He needs to keep this facade. And I think that's why he pushes so hard against trying to be nice to her in this episode. And I just needed to get all that out because we need to be clear about these things. (laughs) I do not think Dean is a dick. Sam has to break it to her that, yes, every year Greeley tortures somebody for everything that happened, but every year it's you. And she's like, I don't remember any of it. And Sam tells her that's because you couldn't see the truth. And she's like, that's why he wouldn't let me off the highway, because I killed him. We come back and Dawn is breaking Molly's sitting down on the steps outside David's house, and she's like, why'd you wait till now to tell me all of this? Dean replies, because you wouldn't have believed us. She's like, and you needed me as bait. And Sam's like, no, we we needed you. We needed you there. She begins to cry. She, like, this is all settling in for her. And she's like, but David, I have to tell him. And Sam's like, tell him what what are you gonna tell him that's gonna make any of this okay like you love him you miss him you're sorry like yeah he knows all that already they won't stop her if she wants to go inside but this is about her being able to let go because David let go of her 15 years ago he said goodbye he's let go of her and moved on with his life Dean's like yeah they won't stop her if she wants to go in there and say whatever she has to say to him but you'll freak him out for life. Like <laughs> there's no way to break what you have to tell him without absolutely just upending his life again. This isn't about David letting go. This is about Molly letting go. And she's still upset because they don't know where she's going to go. But Sam's like, well, haven't you stayed here long enough? Haven't you been tortured long enough? And she's like, well, what do I do? And Sam's just like, let go. Let go of David, let go of all of it, and we think that'll do it. And so she turns away, and as the sun rises over the neighborhood, she disappears into the sunrise. So she's moved on, and Dean even admits afterwards that she wasn't so bad for a ghost, and asks Sam, do you think she's really going to a better place? Sam's like, I hope so. And Dean replies, guess we'll never know, not until we take the plunge ourselves, huh? And Sam's like, well, it doesn't really matter because hope's kind of the whole point. You know, that you hope that there's something better waiting for you afterwards. You don't have to know it or experience it to have hope. That it's what makes life worth living. That you don't live in fear of dying like this. And the irony is, you know, obviously, they will come to a point where they will be in heaven multiple times. They will be in all sorts of wonderful other alternate life realms like Hell, which is not great at all. (laughs) Heaven, which is moderately better than hell because at least you're not being tortured. Um, (laughs) Purgatory, which is 
pure, but combat-filled. So, yeah. They will have a very full understanding of what happens to people and monsters when they die. So, that brings us to the end of the episode. Where Sam's takeaway is that hope is the point of living. That as long as you can keep hoping, it doesn't matter what is actually out there. But, I mean, that's a really great attitude to have towards life. I just wish Sam would have it more towards himself. (laughs) Poor thing. He suffers. And he's going to suffer even more next week in Season 2, Episode 17, Heart. He, oh boy. (laughs) Do we even want to delve into the emotionally wrenching experience that that episode is for Sam? And... Yeah, it's another one where we begin to get a little bit back onto the how can Dean save Sam from something when that something is himself. Like, it's painful. Just, I don't want to talk about it right now. I'm, (laughs) I've suffered enough tonight. But yeah, this episode on first watch is surprising with that twist at the end. But it sort of, on first watch, cast Dean in a really negative light so by the time you get to the end it's kind of hard to go back and mentally redeem Dean for his entire behavior throughout the episode and I think especially for people who you know are watching the series for the first time and don't really see Dean as an emotional character and like I don't know how you got through the series and wouldn't think Dean as an emotional character who (sighs) anyway People who believe that probably stopped listening to this podcast a long time ago. But this episode actually begins to give Sam a heart in a way that he hasn't for a lot of the series. Like, he's great at talking to witnesses and being sympathetic to victims and behaving like a real person or whatever. Because that's the sort of mask that Sam puts on. He can be normal at the drop of a hat. He'd prefer to be normal. But again, it's the same sort of mask that Dean wears to be this cavalier guy who can just push through any problem without it seemingly affecting him and just plow his way through seemingly unaffected by all of it. But since this is a very long week for most people in the Northern Hemisphere who have the shortest possible days and the longest possible nights and the largest percentage of familial obligations of the year for a lot of us. (laughs) I'm going to end this one and just say that I will be still doing another episode next week as well, but I may or may not be around much in between. (laughs) You can still always reach me, though, at SPNGeorge or MittensMorgul on Tumblr, at SPNGeorge or MittensMorgul on Twitter, at Mittens, hashtag 4865 on Discord, or at mittensmorgul at gmail.com. And I'll be happy to talk to everybody as long as, you know, the weekend doesn't kill us all. Because, you know, holidays. What are you going to do? I'm so not looking forward to feeling as sad as I'm going to feel for Sam next week. (laughs) It's like some episodes just emotionally murder you, and that's one of them. So, yeah, mean old show. Being mean to us again. Meaners. I hope everyone's having a lovely Yule, Solstice, Christmas, whatever other holidays fall this week. I don't know. (laughs) I'm just glad it's going to start getting lighter every day now. 
at least for the next six months or something. To my people in the Southern Hemisphere, happy summer. Yeah. There you go. Have a good one, everybody. Yeah, we'll see if that makes sense in editing. Probably not. Whatever. <laughs> it's been a day.